You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Today's reading is from Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred by Victoria Lors. Five years ago, when I started imagining church that wasn't in a windowless building, it wasn't because I was particularly outdoorsy, backpacker type. I went camping for the first time after I graduated high school. And even though I get giddy whenever I see any wild animal or a bright red fallen leaf, I managed to kill all indoor plants and can't identify a single mushroom. I would survive in the wilderness for like 10 minutes if civilization suddenly ended. I began this journey in response to a longing and as cliche as it may sound, to a calling. My journey into a wild spirituality began nearly 20, after nearly 20 years of leading churches and a dozen years of co-leading a youth climate nonprofit with my son. In both roles, as a pastor and as an activist, trying to keep my spirituality and love of nature separate led me into a dissatisfied unrest and ultimately burnout. I discovered on a very personal scale that when spirituality is severed from the, le- the rest of living, rest, excuse me, the rest of the living world, there are severe consequences for the aliveness of both the people and the rest of the world. Like all new life, though, An ending was necessary to create empty space for a beginning. Church burnout is not uncommon, particularly for idealistic pastors like me. In fact, I think leaving church, as Barbara Brown Taylor described in her book of the same name, is a natural phase for spiritual growth. There comes a point when you need to withdraw from what has become too familiar in order to see it again. Activism burnout is not uncommon either, particularly for idealistic youth. Working for change that can rarely be seen in a lifetime, when we only have one lifetime, is inherently difficult. There comes a point when you need to withdraw in order to know who you are again and remember what you are fighting for. That was from Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred by Victoria Lors. Thank you so much. Happy Earth Day to everyone once more. Happy Earth Day weekend. The question, as always, is what have you taken notice of in the natural world around you? 
A nest of baby wrens took flight this past weekend from my home. Now taking shelter under the shed in our backyard with a rabbit by their side. A nest of Cooper's hawks have also taken flight in our neighborhood with three hawks this morning circling and screeching and learning to hunt in our neighborhood. There's the somewhat spicy, sweet smell of honeysuckle when the morning sun hits it. Reminds me of wild jasmine and lilac. Northern short-tailed shrews can be seen foraging through the ever-growing green grass. Little brown bats swoop at night to devour marmorated stink bugs. There's at least 100 stink bugs in here this morning. <laughs> Flowers blooming, warmth increasing. The weather is weird in many places, too. We already have wildfire alerts here in Kentucky. The windstorms left over from the atmospheric rivers in California may become the new normal here. The gorge is battling fires already. With every good thing to notice, there is something alarming to notice. That is part of our task this Earth Day weekend and every single day. Take notice and figure out what it means. What is nature calling us to do? How shall we live? The question Unitarian Universalists ask often, how shall we change? The lessons of nature are manifold. Nature is neither good nor evil, it just is and we can learn from it, perhaps from its most difficult, at least to humans, lessons. The Unitarian architect Frank Lloyd Wright was pressed to answer the question during an interview once, do you believe in God? The interviewer would not let it go. Do you believe in God? So he answered, yes, I believe in God, except I spell it with a capital N and call it nature. <laughs> nature is indeed a great teacher. And this Earth Day weekend, we are called to see what lessons there are for us. Now, I think most, I can generalize a little, Unitarian Universalists, or those who have an affinity with us, know that being in nature is good for you. We could just leave it at that. Let's go, wander the grounds. Service is over. It's self-evident, is it not? One of our core values speaks to the necessity of not just being in nature, but of affirming our inescapable place within it. Our seventh principle, which talks about the interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. That is a loaded statement though, when you think about it. But I feel the word interdependent is crucial to understanding it. Yes, 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 someone might say, we're all a part of nature and existence and all that's well and good, great, wonderful. But interdependence asks us to go deeper. It asks us to give up some of our, perhaps, assumed autonomy, individualism. Americans don't like that. And we Unitarian Universalists with our individualist streak, thank you, Emerson and Thoreau, we're often not big fans of it either. I struggle with it every day. Interdependence asks us to admit that we're not isolated individuals. It asks us to admit that we're caught up in a network of mutuality with all of existence. It's the thing you hear about sometimes thrown in environmentalist circles. If the honeybees die, right, we're in serious trouble. Everything's in serious trouble. If any piece of the ecological puzzle is removed, the picture isn't complete. Interdependence requires humility. Humility. We are dependent on the natural world around us, our very well-being and existence. But the humility goes even deeper than that. Since we are a peculiar species on our planet, as long as we exist, 
we are asked to acknowledge that our behaviors, our consumption, our excess, our values and ethics, all of it, affect not just us or another community of humans, but the environment around us. That plastic Amazon bag you threw away two months ago, the one where you didn't take off your dress label, by the way, it is in an exposed landfill outside of a village in Bangladesh or Laos or beyond right now. Or it's a part of the Great Pacific garbage patch in the ocean. There's two of them now, by the way. The plastic will break down into smaller and smaller bits, but it'll still be plastic. And it'll end up in fish and other marine mammals only to be, or animals only to be fished up from there. And it very well might end up on your dinner plate someday soon. Now that's an exaggeration. But maybe it's not too far off. Our actions in the natural world have consequences. Mindfulness of the problem goes a long way. We all know the problems we face existentially with the environment and the climate crisis. And we know it's more than just an Amazon bag. It's going to require significant and rapid change. And let me tell you, I don't even think I'm prepared for the changes this would require for our world, for society, for how we live. Few of us are. Our job here as a community of faith is not to solve the crisis completely or to shame one another for ordering from Amazon or not composting or doing XYZ. Our job together is to raise awareness and nurture that mindfulness. And the way we talk about that is the word interdependence. In the White Plum Village tradition of Tian Buddhism out of Vietnam, it's called interbeing. Everything in existence relies on everything in, in existence. Now, that's an oversimplification of a Zen principle, but for all of us, that's enough for today. It's a place to start. You as an individual, me as an individual, are utterly helpless and relying on certain minerals, bacteria, flora, fauna, chemical compounds, gases, solids, liquids, processes that you know and feel and processes you don't even know about and so on. And for me, I find that giving in to that knowledge increases my understanding, my compassion for myself and others and this world of ours. Once I let go of fighting vigorously to hold on to my idea of an individual self and realize I am so wholly dependent on nature with a capital N, the heart and mind open. But if that doesn't work for you this morning, we can backtrack a little. Unitarian Universalists understand nature is good for them. That's a great place to be. So here's some facts on that. According to the journal Nature, in a study published in June 2019, at least 120 minutes a week in the natural world increases good health and well-being. The study comes out of the European Center for Environment and Human Health out of the University of Exeter. It and similar studies have since been affirmed and expanded upon by the American Psychological Association, the National Institute of Health, the Yale School of the Environment, and so many other organizations, to name but a few. Now, the study out of Exeter is very specific, though. At least 120 minutes, not 110, not 119. <laughs> Two full hours, at least. I know I've talked about often in the past that how even having just a plant in your home has been shown to provide positive effects, but this study goes deeper. It says that if we want very tangible, lasting benefits, at least two hours 
in an outdoor natural setting, be it a park, a preserve, the woods, the ocean, desert, etc., for at least two hours, that is the threshold we must cross. And it's not just your mental health, mood, and emotional well-being that improve. It's not just that spiritual connection that many of us feel in nature, that connection to everything. Sometimes when we talk about the natural world, we leave it at just that, right? Do it, you'll be happier, right? That's great. But again, it goes deeper. Stress levels and stress hormones experience a significant reduction. This includes improvements to heart rate, blood pressure, cortisol levels, and so on. So it's not only good for stress, it's good for reducing your risk of stroke, cardiac events, and other stress-related or stress-induced diseases and conditions. Now, that doesn't mean go crazy on the bacon and pile high the nitrates because you're outdoors for two hours, right? <laughs> but it does mean we have one more incredibly accessible tool for stress and stress-related health management. Cognition and brain activity see significant improvements to executive function and attention. Being in the presence of real plants increases activity in the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that, in the very least, orchestrates thoughts, actions, internal goals. In other words, decision-making and planning. Some suggest that part of the brain has everything to do with our personalities and our will to live as well. We could go all day on this. Immune functions improved. Post-operative recovery, some have seen improvements. Mental health, physical activity, weight management, sleep, diabetes, cardio cardiovascular disease, birth rates, asthma, cancer, mortality, even allergies, and so on. All areas studied and all areas where lessened risk and improved health are noted. And the studies continue to affirm this. Now, first, this is not me saying, aha, here's a cure for heart disease or cancer. Absolutely not. Not at all. The bottom line is that we all have access to something that will improve our health and well-being in some way, some measurable and meaningful way. And I feel one of our responsibilities as Unitarian Universalists who talk about that interdependent web of existence is to continually remind each other that there is no separation between human and nature. That is one of the great lies of modern living. And these studies affirm that we are not meant to be separate or to think we are separate. We're not meant to be hyper-connected, always online, tweeting and TikToking and emailing and Zooming ourselves into graves built by stress and ultimately, paradoxically, disconnection with ourselves and the natural world. In the passage you heard from Victoria Lors, who's a former mainline Protestant pastor and one of the founders of the Wild Church Network, she felt that disconnect in our religious communities. She felt it so powerfully that she crashed and burned and while pulling herself out of rock bottom. And you know, there's a lot of professions that have a risk of epic crashing and burning. Ministry is one of those. As she was pulling herself out of that rock bottom, she answered a powerful call to return her faith to the natural world. So she founded what's called the Wild Church Network. Now their services are simple, right? They reimagine what church should be. They let go of traditional liturgy and instead ask the natural world to be the liturgy. Here's how it goes, just a brief snapshot. Wild churches always meet outside. Rain, snow, heat, cold, whatever. There's always a welcome, of course, welcome so-and-so. 
a land acknowledgement both for the peoples who used to be there and of the watershed. Have you ever thought of that? Acknowledging and thanking the watershed that gives you your water. There might be a moment of meditation, readings, maybe a song, then the gathered people are asked to wander. 20 to 45 minutes in the natural world. Just wander, observe, take notice. And after that time, the people regather. Now, perhaps a chime or a gong or something rings out. Victoria Lors, however, said she's perfected a peacock call to call people back. I tried it. It's not good. <laughs> the people return and they're invited to share. They often bring back small tokens from their wandering and build an altar together. There's really nothing just to observe, you know, nothing sacred about this other than it being there. And they share their experiences. And that sharing is the sermon. The service closes out, maybe with a song or reading. I've gone to work with Victoria when I was training to be what's called a wild church pastor, which I love that title. Um, <laughs> could you imagine? I'm Brian Chenoweth, your wild church pastor. Uh, it was one of my sabbatical projects last year. And while it might sound like nothing new under the sun for churches and religious communities that are coming out of thousands of years of institutional expectations, it's transformative. The goal is to rewild the church, to make connections with the natural world fundamental to everything they do, to let go of the noise and the nonsense that is around us. The only goal is to foster connection with other human beings and the natural world. Now I say this knowing that Unitarian Universalists do have the trappings of old school traditions. Every religion does. We have our sacred cows, but we're also different. I do believe it's time for Unitarian Universalists to let go of the expectations of the dominant religious culture around us. And in our case, that would be Protestantism. That doesn't mean let go of singing hymns. Many of them are beloved. We'll sing one of the most beloved ones at the close of the service today. That doesn't mean get rid of our buildings, get rid of coffee hour and committees, get rid of religious professionals or Sunday morning. But what it does mean is that we should freely let go of the burden of the past, but also the burden of the present. We have it within us to foster and nurture a spiritual life that is wholly connected to the natural world. And here especially, I mean, look around you, right? Our eyes are drawn to the natural world here. Rewilding the church means letting go and leaning into what's needed right now. And what isn't needed now is for Unitarian Universalists to look to the culture of now for how to do church. Absolutely not. What's needed is for us to answer one of the pressing needs of this moment, to reconnect us with this earth of ours, in community, imperfectly, with love and grace abundant. We will always owe our lineage in part to those deeply radical Protestant roots. But right now, today, any religious expression that caves to and mirrors the dominant culture should be something we're wary of. In this case, I find myself watching as a great deal of American religion gives in to grind culture. Always keep working nonstop until you can barely get up in the morning. The culture of perfection. Who do I yell at about the slide being missing? My experience was ruined. The culture of hyperconnectivity. 
I have to text you immediately about this thing I thought about this morning without thinking a single second in between it. A culture that always must be flashy and cutting edge. Where are the smoke machines? <laughs> always the latest version. That is an empty shell of a religion. And this could easily veer into a commentary on American religion, but when you have an empty shell, you fill it with whatever's at hand. And as we've seen in more fundamentalist religious expressions, it's really hard to distinguish between nationalism and religion sometimes. I believe in a better way. And it's not necessarily religion rooted only in nature, maybe not, but it surely isn't a religion rooted in a culture that is stressing us to death disconnecting us with the world around us. One of my mentors when I was in seminary was convinced that the primary mission of Unitarian Universalism was to heal disconnection. At the time, I wasn't so sure. I was a seminarian with plenty of ideas, right? But now I get it. With everything happening in our state, in our city, but also with our planet, I see disconnection everywhere. Many of you arrive here with a deep disconnection with spirituality and religion. Many of you arrive here with disconnection with your own self. And if I had to modify my mentor's sentiment just a little, I would say it this way. Our primary mission is to provide the tools to heal disconnection, to provide the medicine, to provide a way or many ways. But it's up to each of us to embark on the journey of healing. Given everything we've heard about the benefits of immersing ourselves in the natural world, for at least two hours a week. Remember, it has to be two hours. <laughs> We're fortunate. We're fortunate to have this space because it is just one more type of good medicine for the journey. Rewilding the church is as simple as that. Recognizing what's available to us in the natural world and seeing it as a part of our spiritual and religious lives. Now, for those of you that are interested, I guess, this late spring or summer, I plan to offer a Wild Church Sunday. Maybe a Saturday. Maybe more than one. Maybe right now. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Outdoors, simple, an invitation to reconnect. To let your experiences be the sermon. A good word. So let me know if that interests you. But again, we're fortunate. We Unitarian Universalists have all the tools we need to foster such reconnections with the natural world, with ourselves and each other. It's as simple as me or anyone else quoting that famous passage of scripture, right? Go and do likewise. You know what's available. You know the benefits. You have everything you need to benefit. Go and do likewise. With what awaits us and what's emerging in the climate crisis, reconnecting is of the utmost importance. I think it's spiritual work, right? Religious work. Good work. It doesn't solve the major problems awaiting us, but it does equip us to respond. And so may you rewild your spirituality. And in so doing, rewild communities like ours. Go out into nature, explore, notice. And most importantly, bring back the gifts you discover. For this Earth Day and every day, blessed be. Amen.
hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.